From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. After what feels like an eternity, we'll finally have answers on Tuesday in this 2020 election for which enthusiasm has been so high. The state of Texas reported Friday that more than 9 million people voted early in the Lone Star State. The number of early in-person and mail-in ballots exceeded the total number of votes cast in the state in the 2016 election. Now, the early voting period was extended by a week this year, and more people voted by mail in an effort to reduce crowd size on Election Day because of the pandemic. But still, those early voting numbers are certainly impressive. This week, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers are joined by NBC5 anchor Brian Curtis and the Dallas Morning News Washington Bureau Chief Todd Gilman to wrap up the campaign season. Then Julie will talk to SMU political science professor Matthew Wilson about the polling data he's seeing as Election Day approaches. Democratic vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris made three stops in Texas Friday, including in Fort Worth, a sign that the party thinks it has a shot in the state. Last week, NBC News moved Texas from a lean Republican state to a toss-up. Our roundtable this week focuses on Joe Biden's chances in Texas, the Senate race between incumbent Republican John Cornyn and Democrat MJ Hagar, and a couple of key House races. Republican Genevieve Collins is challenging incumbent Colin Allred in Texas's 32nd congressional district, which Democrats flipped in 2018. That district covers northern parts of Dallas County. Another key House race is for Texas's 24th district. Republican Kenny Marchant is retiring after 16 years, and Beth Van Dyne is running to hold the seat for the GOP against Democrat Candace Valenzuela. That district covers parts of Dallas, Tarrant, and Denton counties. Democrats also have their eyes on the Texas State House. After picking up 12 seats two years ago, the party needs nine more to flip it this year. So to discuss all of that, we go to our roundtable. Julie, Gromer, Todd, and Brian. Let's start with the presidential race. And Todd, we're going to talk to you first in Washington, D.C. What do you see coming on Tuesday? Oh, boy. I hope that we have an early night. I don't think we'll have an early night. I don't think we're going to have a president-elect for a day or two or three or even more. And I think it's going to make a lot of people really mad. Now, it is possible we'll have an early night. That would require a very, very forceful victory by Joe Biden. There's really not a lot of options, not very many scenarios for a quick Trump victory. His path is not so good. And of course, Texas being a battleground this year to a degree that we have not seen in a generation, if Biden can take Texas, it will be over. Garmer? Todd, man, it seems like a long time ago, we were both in New York for Trump's victory against Hillary Clinton. There've been people waiting so many years. I mean, that night, people vowed to take him out again. What kind of energy, and I know it's tough with COVID-19, but what kind of energy do you think there is for this election for Democrats wanting to make a change? You know, I think we've seen that energy in the incredibly long lines during early voting uh, in Texas and around the state. Of course, Texas has already had more early votes in, I think, more votes than it did in 2016, even before Election Day. And around the country, we've seen an incredible outpouring requests for absentee ballots, not just because of COVID, but because of enthusiasm to vote. Is it actual enthusiasm for Joe Biden? We've talked about this for months and months and months. Nobody is in love with Joe Biden, but they are grimly determined and really, really determined to try to, to defeat Donald Trump, as, as you said. Brian, 
Have you ever seen anything like this in Texas on a presidential level? No, Gromer. I mean, the fact that we're even talking about Texas being in play is is really remarkable. And I agree with Todd. I think we're looking at either one of two scenarios on election night. We're looking at a landslide that goes in favor of Joe Biden, and it's a very early night. Or we're looking at a scenario where we don't know who the president-elect is going to be for a, a period of days or weeks. Which scenario? Well, well, who knows? Anything can happen, right? It's 2020. Brian, we've talked a lot about the possibility of Texas flipping. And we've said that we feel like each year, whether it's 2018 or 2016, we say, is this the year that Texas flips? What do you think it takes to actually be the year that Texas flips? Well, you know, a lot of people say Texas has never really been a red state or a blue state, that it's been a non-voting state. Well, you can't say that about Texas this year, right? Look at the numbers. They are just absolutely staggering. So if you have groups of voters that haven't voted in the past, perhaps young people, perhaps the Latino community turns out in real force, that could be what finally tips Texas into the blue column. Now, Ty, uh, talking about statewide races, a Democrat hasn't won a statewide race since 1994, but we have the big one, John Cornyn, the incumbent senator versus MJ Hagar. How do you see that? There is a lot of money pouring into this race, particularly on the Democrat side. Hager has attracted enough attention to really make it competitive looking. Whether it's actually competitive compared to two years ago when Beto O'Rourke held Cruz, Ted Cruz to below 51%, 2.6% separated them. The polls coming into election day weekend don't show Hager that close to John Cornyn, uh, the three-term incumbent. Cornyn seems to be ahead by seven points, eight, nine, maybe points. That's a more comfortable lead than Cruz had this time two years ago. It hasn't caught on the same kind of life. It's been a different kind of campaign. Cornyn has not had a rally. Hager has barely been out in public. It's really hard to measure the level of enthusiasm on each side. It's a pretty safe bet that Cornyn is running stronger than President Trump. And if anybody is benefiting from anybody's coattails in Texas, it is the president benefiting from however well John Cornyn is going to do. They are kind of tied at the hip. Cornyn has been very supportive of the president, and that has been to his detriment with some voters and to his benefit with other voters. Hager hasn't really made that much of an issue, so we can't say that the election has been nationalized so much, other than to say that Democrats around the country have, are looking at Texas and seeing this opportunity that we're talking about in the presidential race, and they know that you can't really disassociate the presidential from the Senate race because the same voters turn out for both. Yeah, Brian, you know, what's fascinating to me is, as Todd is right, Hagar hasn't really made that big of an issue of corn and running with Trump. Trump, obviously, this election is a referendum on him. So, I mean, what do you think? Does Cornyn risk a bunch of suburban voters en route to defeating Trump, maybe taking him down as well? I think that's possible, Gromer. You know, one thing we haven't talked about yet is the fact that you can't vote straight ticket in Texas anymore. But I think a lot of people may essentially do that. They're voting with um, one statement that they want to make in mind, whether that's in favor of President Trump or against. So they're going into the voting booth, and a lot of people, they're voting for the people with the R or the people or the D. And if you want to make a statement, say, opposed to President Trump, you vote for all the people who have Ds next to their name, and that could help M.J. Hagar and hurt Senator Cornyn. 
We're on the subject of the Senate, Gromer. Let's talk about the United States Senate. A lot of talk this year that that could flip as well. What's your opinion? Well, it could. I think Democrats have a chance of having a really, really big night. You know, taking the Senate would give them both chambers, assuming that they held the House. And if Biden wins, you're looking at a situation like 2008 where they can really try to implement their agenda. Of course, Obama spent all this capital tied on health care and got the Affordable Care Act passed, but really sort of wasted a lot of that capital when he could have done things like immigration and other issues. So we'll see if the Senate can go Democratic. There are a lot of races, Todd, out there that Democrats hope to pick up. What do you think? No, well, uh, you make a lot of good points. First of all, the, the agenda, I don't even know where they would begin. Obviously, President Trump is warning where they would begin is by destroying the oil industry and, you know, all, all that kind of raising your taxes no matter who you are, even if you're poor. But for instance, the Senate race in South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, longtime senator, used to be John McCain's buddy and, and wingman. Now he has really transformed into President Trump's wingman. Jamie Harrison, former Democratic state chairman in South Carolina, has raised unbelievable gobs of money. This is a race that has already eclipsed the Texas race in how much money is being spent there. North Carolina, also hugely costly race. There is an opportunity. I think most handicappers are not ready to say that Democrats are within shooting distance of taking the Senate. I don't think there's any question the Democrats are going to hold on to the House and may in fact extend their lead. We're looking at a number of House races in Texas that could flip, but certainly there's enough padding with the House majority with Democrats that they don't really have to worry too much in a year where the question isn't whether there's a red wave, but whether there's a blue wave or just kind of a blue, you know, little wave. Does the Texas House flip? Guys, I, I certainly think it's possible. You know, one of the things I've been struck by is the money, right? The money that has been poured into these state house races. Often these are sleepy races that you don't hear a lot about, but the fact that so much money is being poured into these races shows you how competitive it is this year. And Brian, a lot of the action is in North Texas. Five uh, seats held by Republicans being, con being challenged by Democrats in Tarrant County. Of course, Dallas County, there are only two Republicans left. And look at Collin County, where or Matt Shaheen and Jeff Leach, Republican lawmakers there, are at risk of losing their seats. So a lot of the action, Julie, North Texas. Gromer, you've covered this race pretty extensively, the race between sitting Congressman Colin Allred and challenger Genevieve Collins. What happens here? That district, a lot of analysts have taken it off the map for Republicans because it, it leans so Democratic now based on what happened in 2016 when Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump there, and in 2018 when Allred beat Pete Sessions by almost seven points. With the turnout there we're seeing in, in that district, it would be hard for a Republican to beat Allred. We'll have to see. Uh, it's a tough one, uh, Todd. What do you say? No, I, I think you're right, uh, and, and I look forward to covering the Texas congressional delegation with Allred and Pete Sessions back in the house. Right. Pete Sessions in Waco, running in Waco. That's right. Oh, that's that's going to be that's going to be some fun lunches there. But, no, I think you're right. I, I mean, Allred is in command in that district. But that said, it has attracted a lot of money. Allred has outspent Collins quite a bit, but she's not been a slouch in how much money, and and that is a sign that. Republicans know if they don't keep this district now, 
you know, redistricting is right around the corner after this census is done. Two years from now, this district is going to be even more Democratic. Well, and if you've turned on the television here, you've seen a lot of those ads, and you've also seen a lot of ads in the race for the open seat. That's with Candace Valenzuela and Beth Van Dyne. Gromer, let's talk a little bit about that race. So much money being spent there, and a lot of it coming from out of state as well. Yeah, and that's a district that's seen a demographic shift as well. It was represented by Kenny Marchin, the, the Republican, also a former state rep, Kenny Marchin, for so long. Democrats feel like they can take that seat. Marchin won by three points last time, but that was against a challenger that didn't spend a lot of money. Candace Valenzuela is spending a lot of money on that race, a lot of outside money coming in. Of course, former mayor Beth Van Dyne, this is the seat that she's always wanted, but it was under Republican control when she was dreaming about it. Now the shift has occurred. The question is, is it too late for a Republican to win there? Let's talk a little bit about some other races here. We can kind of talk about them in general. Democrats have targeted Roger Williams' seat, and they've also targeted Van Taylor's seat. Gromer, I mean, Democrats or the DCCC really wants to see some change here in Texas. But in Collin County, as we are seeing change, how far do you think that goes? We'll see in Collin County, the two state rep candidates are in trouble there. In Plano, the district itself is pretty large, has a lot of Republican voters. Van Taylor won it by 10 percentage points last time. We'll see what he can do against Lulu Cycling. But Todd, what kind of changes are you looking for overall in the, in the Texas delegation? Does it have a chance well, at all of, of shifting? It does. It, it certainly does. But where exactly and how many seats could flip is a good guess. There, there's a, a seat in suburban Houston in Fort Bend County where there's one of many Republican retirements going on. That seat used to be Tom DeLay's seat, the former Hammer uh, minority, uh, majority leader in the House who engineered that redistricting that led to Kenny Marchant's election and, and those of uh, many other Republicans. That seat has absolutely transformed with demographic changes. Um, we see even Ron Wright in Arlington, right. the Arlington-Fort uh, Worth kind of seat is shifting quite a bit and Democrats are making a play there. One of the biggest competitive races is freshman Chip Roy of Austin, who is running against former state Senator Wendy Davis of Fort Worth, who is now down in that district. That race is, money is just pouring into that race. Very conservative Republican versus a very liberal Democrat. This is a death match. And both sides really, really want to claim that again because of redistricting. Because once the legislature redraws the lines, incumbents are always favored. It's one of the reasons that so much money is pouring in to the, to the state house races is because if Democrats can then control at least a part of the mechanism of state government, the state house, against the Republican governor and the Republican state senate, they would have more of a say and at the very least force federal courts to step in and give them some advantage that they wouldn't otherwise have. Right. So when, when you lock in a race for the year that these seats get redrawn, it's good for 10 years. It's a critically important cycle this year. Okay, and one last question here. Excluding the presidential race, what will you specifically be watching for election night, Brian? Uh, I'm watching these suburban DFW races, you know, the, the 32nd, the 3rd, the 24th. I want to see what's happening in suburban Dallas-Fort Worth. And in a broader sense, um, guys, is this the year 
that Texas finally has an equal to the Republican Party. There's been erosion um, over the years. The Democrats have gained. Is this the year where they are finally an equal player? We'll see. Gromer. Brian stole mine, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I tell you, I'm watching the Texas, the Texas House races. I want to see if Democrats can take control of the Texas House or if Republicans hold it, because that's important. They will draw the, the, the new maps the, the, after, the, after the census. They will draw the maps. So that's what I'm looking at. Todd? I, I got to go with the same reasoning as you guys, but I'm, and I hate to be redundant, I'm going to be watching the U.S. Senate race, Corn and Hager. Uh, this is a referendum on Trump and Trumpism and the direction of the Republican Party in Texas, which just elected a, a Tea Partier, former congressman from Florida, as its chairman. Uh, the, 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 the polarization has really gone very far in Texas, and Democrats are the ones that are now able to claim the middle, and if they can defeat Cornyn, it's, it's a whole new ballgame in Texas. So I'm going a little bit national on this last one. I'm watching the United States Senate. I think we've all talked about what a seismic shift that will be if that goes in Democrats' hands and the House stays in Democrats' hands. And there could possibly be a Democratic president. So I want to see how all that shakes out and see what happens there. Gromer, I can't believe that we're finally two days away. We're two days away. And I've got to tell you, it's going to be a big night no matter what happens, especially in Texas. Because if Democrats make gains, that's going to be big news. And if Republicans hold a lot of their ground, that will be big news also because it will be disappointing to Democrats who, quite frankly, if they can't win a bunch of stuff in this environment, then maybe they won't win at all. So we'll see how it all plays out, Julie. But it's been a long time coming, right? It's been a long ride. It's been a busy ride. I just want to thank you all for being here. I wish we could all be together. Someday we will be again. But thanks for all being good yeah. friends and of Lone know, Star you, Politics four years from now. This has been a tough year, right? Yeah. Everybody, it's been a tough year with COVID. But we're all here doing this, and hopefully things will get better. To find interviews with some of the key candidates like John Cornyn, MJ Hagar, Colin Allred, Genevieve Collins, Beth Van Dyne, and Candace Valenzuela, check out episodes of the TV show or the podcast from the last couple months on NBCDFW.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Matthew Wilson is an associate professor of political science at SMU. Zooming out a little bit more to look at the big picture of the election, Matthew tells Julie what states to keep an eye on in the presidential race Tuesday night and the result that would force pollsters everywhere to reevaluate their methods. Matthew Wilson, political science professor at SMU, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. You know, in a lot of elections, I frequently hear this will be the year that Texas flips. Is this the year that Texas flips? I think Texas comes just short of flipping. That's my best guess, is that things are a lot closer than they've been in the past. My guess would be that Donald Trump just ekes it out, that John Cornyn wins by a little bit more comfortable margin, a few more points than Trump does, and that Republicans just hang on to the state house by one, two, three seats. That would be my guess. Now, what you can tell from that, though, is it wouldn't take much to tip those outcomes to the Democratic side. So I'm, I'm forecasting that Republicans in this state just barely hang on, but it is far closer than it's ever been in the in the recent past. You know, when you talk about 
on Tuesday night, will we even know who the president is or who the president's going to be? We know President Trump is the president, obviously, but who the president will be. Does Florida give you a pretty good indication early on or only if you're Biden? That's the thing. If Joe Biden wins Florida, that's a very strong indication. It's almost certain at that point that he's going to be president. So if we get results out of Florida indicating that Biden has won, then I think he can feel very, very confident. Now, if we get results out of Florida indicating that Trump has won, that means he's still in the game, but it doesn't mean that he's going to be reelected. That's just one piece of the puzzle that he needs. And then we'd have to go on and look at states like North Carolina and Georgia and Arizona and the states of the upper Midwest, like Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota. So Florida could end the night early if it goes for Biden. Uh, if it goes for Trump, then we still have work to do in terms of figuring out who the winner is. Pennsylvania, how critical is it to either of them? I think it's probably the single most critical state. For Biden, if he loses Pennsylvania, that's a bad sign. He spent a lot of time there. He's from a neighboring state. Uh, and Pennsylvania has some voters that are very similar to voters in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in those other uh, upper Midwest tier states that he would like to flip from Trump. So I think that if you had to pick a single state that's the best bellwether for how the outcome is going to go, it would be Pennsylvania. So many voters this year in Texas. More than, than ever before. That uh, I think it's, it's almost certain that we're going to set a record for the greatest number of voters that have participated in Texas electoral history. So if with this number of voters, if Democrats come just short of flipping the state, is this a massive message to politicians in 2022 and 24? It absolutely is. It, what it says is that no one in this state of any party can take anything for granted anymore. You know, the Republican Party in Texas, and many members of the party will tell you this themselves, the Republican Party in Texas between, you know, mid-2000s to the middle part of this past decade got a little bit lazy and complacent because they were winning so easily and, and the state had become so ruby red that they could afford things like partisan infighting. They could afford things like pursuing highly ideological agendas that didn't necessarily resonate with a lot of voters. That luxury is gone, right? The Republican Party in Texas now faces a very competitive environment where they have to be much more on their toes electorally, where they have to have their internal act together and can't afford the partisan infighting. I think that's the, the very clear message. I think for Democrats, what what the message will be to them is that they can and should compete uh, across the state, that, that this truly is now uh, a two-party state. The one thing I will say is it will be very interesting to see what happens to the partisan balance when Trump departs the scene, because some of the Democratic strength right now is being driven by a real aversion of suburban, normal Republicans from Donald Trump. So you've got a lot of people in the Houston, Dallas, Austin suburbs uh, who are normally inclined to vote Republican, who just really don't like Donald Trump and want to send an anti-Trump message. Question is, if Trump loses this time and then departs the scene, in future elections, are those people going to return to their re normal Republican roots or have they been permanently dislodged from the GOP? And that's something that only time will tell. Any congressional race surprises you expect? Probably the closest race to watch 
is going to be the uh, Texas 24, uh, the one that uh, features Beth Van Dyne trying to, uh, to win that seat. That's one that truly is about a true toss-up 50-50 proposition. So, so Texas 24 is definitely one to watch. I think another that uh, will be really interesting to watch is uh, Texas 23, which runs down uh, between San Antonio and the, the uh, Mexican border. That's one that Democrats had thought they had a very strong chance to take. It's trended back a little bit more Republican. That'll be an interesting one to watch. But in terms of that suburban dynamic I was talking about, one here in the, the Dallas area, that is Texas District 3, that features Van Taylor trying to hold on to his seat. That's a heavily suburban district. It includes principally Collin County. That's the kind of district that Republicans should normally win without too much trouble. But if the real suburban rejection of Trump shows up somewhere, that's the kind of district that could be an upset on election. Anything you want to add? I would say that the, in many ways, the really critical battle on election night is the battle for the Texas State House of Representatives. That's going to determine redistricting, uh, who controls the redistricting process after 2020. And that is really on a knife's edge. I mean, it's, it's a jump ball in terms of which party controls that. My guess is that Democrats fall just short. They need to capture nine seats in order to take control of the Texas State House. So my guess would be that they end up netting somewhere between five and seven and therefore falling just short. But that tells you right there that if things are just a little more Democratic than what I'm forecasting, they could end up with a one, two, three seat majority in, in the Texas House. And that would dramatically change the game in terms of the redistricting dynamics. Before I let you go, do you think we know who's going to win on Tuesday evening, President? I think it's highly likely that Joe Biden will be the next president. If he is not, if Trump manages to eke out another victory to win a second term, then a profound reevaluation has to take place within the polling industry in the United States, because all of the mainstream pollsters right now are saying that Joe Biden should win fairly comfortably. So if that doesn't happen, then the whole models on which they premise their surveys are broken. And, and that there'll be a definite reckoning to face in the polling industry. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they are probably going to be more or less right and that Joe Biden will win not overwhelmingly, but not in a squeaker either. Uh, and so that's my guess. Thanks to Brian Curtis, Todd Gilman, and Matthew Wilson for joining the discussion this week. We've finally made it. Election day is Tuesday. Make sure to stick with NBC5 and NBCDFW.com through election day. Election night coverage starts Tuesday at 6 on NBC5. We'll talk to you next week.